Welcome to the Unlocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. Welcome back to episode number 98 of Unblocking Crypto. How great to see you again. Hey, good to see you, Jason. So I know we've been talking about regulation all year. I think one of the interesting things that I was reading about here lately was talking about super PACs. And we've, we've talked about the election happening next year. Uh, and right now, crypto has raised, or the crypto community has raised $78 million in the last three months on different super PACs that are all focused on crypto. And they're not anti-regulation crypto PACs either. This They're all about uh, pro-responsible regulation, which is few and far between at this point that we're, we're seeing. And kind of the other crazy piece to all this is there's about 50 million Americans that own crypto. So it, it's at some point it's going to come down to, are you siding on almost what, a third or maybe even more of the voting population? Or are you siding on Gary Gensler's <laughs> side too? So it's exciting to see, and shoot, we're still a year away, but $73 million or $8 million, whatever it is, is is not a, a, a small number at all. Yeah, I, I would think you could lobby pretty well on $78 million. The the $50 million U.S. citizens with crypto is only going up, right? The ETF, once it's approved, that opens the door for people like my parents who want to buy crypto but like don't want to sit down open up a coinbase account and deal with all of that so that's going to go way up real quick so i'd say this is there's a growing trend where washington wants to do more reasonable regulations and the elizabeth warren you know outlandish regulations that would kind of kill things even though i don't even think she means to she just doesn't get it. I think that side, you know, they they have like 22 senators that are supporting that. I, I think that that's that I think they're kind of topped out. You know, it's a lot of work to start convincing the rest. And you're going to see people email their senators and call their senators if it gets a little out of hand. About two years ago, there was that piece of legislation that was going to pass that had some that had some. I'd say anti-crypto, but it was really like unintentional consequences of uh, the way it was worded. And senators were bombarded with phone calls. So I I don't I think that that things are going the way they should be going. And I mean, I'm still very confident that all the phone calls to senators and stuff matter less than BlackRock. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I mean, it's still one of those things where Coinbase is now taking the SEC back to court because the SEC finally came back and said that the existing securities regime is appropriately governing the crypto asset securities, right? So we all know that's not the case. If you look at all these companies, they are getting out of the business of U.S. customers as, as customers, right? I mean, we are now lumped into the same category as North Korea, Iran, Syria, China. <laughs> it is an interesting group to be associated with at this point now because of the way that we're handling crypto assets and, and regulation. Yeah, I mean, it's really rare for the U.S. to lose market position and export 
technology and companies to other jurisdictions that are more friendly, especially on the tech side. I mean, the Silicon Valley and, and tech stuff was a huge wave of economic growth for the United States. So they're, I'm not surprised that they move, are moving this slow and, and stupidly. But at the same time, it's like usually the United States gets it something close to right. And it's strange that they're not getting there. And there's a game theory component to this that's very obvious if you're watching. And when it comes to the, like network effects and, and these innovative technologies and new industries, once they start to kind of grow in a certain area and they build a little bit of that support, and you've got multiple companies that can kind of trade employees that have different similar skill sets, then, you know, where's the, where's the crypto Silicon Valley going to be? And if the United States isn't friendly enough, it's going to be in a different country because these, all you need is a headquarters in El Salvador and your employees could be wherever they want to be because everything's remote and it's just not an issue. So for the, it's just strange. I'm, you know, I have a lot of confidence in like the um, idea of America getting things right and no confidence in the individuals that are in control getting things right. So it's, I'm like super conflicted on, on how long this is going to take. But but yeah, I mean, the, the SEC said that the current that they disagreed with Coinbase's stance that the current regs are unworkable. But straight up, the SEC told Coinbase that. Just you need to just listen to us just because and it, it couldn't point to the regulations and explain why they the Coinbase needed what Coinbase needed to do to fall in line because everything's up for grabs. And, you know, are the, they can't even say Gary Gensler can't say under oath if if Ethereum is a security or not. So it's not easy. So I don't know why they continue to say that it, it's it's like these guys have to have an appellate court judge tell them that what they're saying is wrong. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a mess right now in the US. And if you look at what's happening in the EU, the Belgium is, I think, about to take over the EU Council presidency. And it's about a six month term. And the big push that they have is literally going to be EU wide digital infrastructure. And, and that's his focus. I think he said out of the 27 countries already, they have eight already on board. But he wants to push that. And the big thing that he wants to do is to figure out a way to give the data back to the people instead of to the government. So if if this can happen, this it's huge. And what he talked about is if you look at the EU, they weren't first in connectivity. They weren't first in cloud services, but they can be first from a blockchain business perspective, right? And And if they're able to do that, then that will propel them for many years in the future that they've missed out on a lot of this stuff in the past. Yeah. And if you look at EU, I mean, Americans can work from the EU. There's a lot of English speakers. It's, it's a modern area. You know, it's not Latin America is a bit of a stretch just because there's so many Spanish speakers that don't speak English, but across Europe, everybody speaks multiple languages, including English. So I think that would if you're Europe and you're playing the game theory thing, you might want to beat the United States on this and and see where it goes. So uh, that's not a surprise. I, I did see some other speaking of like different countries in Bitcoin adoption. Suriname, which is a tiny country, 
is reviewing their Bitcoin strategy proposal. So that that'll be like early January when they come out with that response. And Qatar has half a trillion dollars that is sitting in their sovereign wealth fund. And Max Kaiser's talking to them. And I think they visited El Salvador. So that's not going to be half a trillion dollars that gets in, goes into Bitcoin. But it's more countries are thinking about it. More countries don't want to hold everything in dollars or treasuries. And it's just part of the part of how Bitcoin works. You know, your buddy your buddy starts getting into Bitcoin and makes a little money. So you start looking into it. Your, your competitive company gets into Bitcoin and starts to kind of take a, a lead from you and you start looking into it or you, one country looks into it and you, you can't let the other country pull away. So it's just the natural kind of rolling effect of how Bitcoin just kind of takes over things over time. Yeah. I mean, talk about, countries being scared to hold on to dollars, right? I mean, the the alternative right now, a lot is these stable coins and Tether just onboarded the Secret Service and the FBI to their platform. And they've been kind of promoting that they have been able to freeze, I think about $435 million worth of stable coins so far, right? So it's it's one of those that we talk about crypto and as long as you have your keys, you have your your coins well sometimes when it's a centralized project like a tether even if you have your own coins you could get flagged as your wallet is not allowed to trade and tether won't do anything with it so kind of crazy that stuff like that is happening but i mean it is it's kind of the path that everybody wants to go with this cdpc type concept too and be able to control what's happening and shoot i think it's almost a good thing because it it stops all the shadow stuff that's going on in the background that governments are doing and no one can really ever find out what's truly happening with it, but it's, it's still a little scary. Yeah. That, like there's a lot of thoughts here. One is go ahead and, and run the CBDC surveillance model on, on us on tether and see what the response is. People are going to hate it. People aren't going to, People, people aren't going to be all about CBDCs if if tethers in with the federal government and if you post a certain thing on social media, then you don't get to spend any money. Two, tether seems to work with the U.S. government really closely. They seem to have no problem shutting people down and doing stuff. I'm great when they're right. You know, Ledger had a hack, and they the hackers fished an ex-employee and somehow managed to get code into an update so that if you were on your ledger and used a decentralized exchange that your private keys were exposed and they could drain your wallet somehow they only managed to to drain like six hundred thousand dollars and tether froze a lot of that so like okay good example where it's okay to freeze people's stuff when it's stolen but if you just have the wrong ideas, you don't want your your funds to be frozen. So that's kind of a, a one piece that just go, you know, run these exercises, see what happens. You know, it's 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 on tether. I think the U.S. government's going to like it because now you can now sanctions are back in play because you can just shut people off, which is what they seem to want to do, even though it's really bad for them. So that's there's one thought. The other is if you look at 
like not your keys, not your coins stuff. But now, even if you have your keys, keys, you're in trouble. I feel like this we're I feel like we're headed towards a battle between, hey, just trust the ETFs to 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 store your Bitcoin. You want to own Bitcoin? Use use the the centralized entities that are trusted, Black Rocks and Fidelities. Use them. Don't trust yourself with your private keys. You know, look at how many people are lost. I bet that along with the ESG, you know, Bitcoin mining is good for the environment now because BlackRock's making money and all the pro Bitcoin. Look, it's good for renewables. It can eat up power. We're going to see a bunch of that. I think we're also going to see a bunch of stories where there's a thousand Bitcoin in a hard drive in a landfill. There's, you know, this guy had a 10,000 Bitcoin and he lost his private key and now it's just it's just gone forever. And so I think that we'll start seeing more and more stories like that to drive people to stop trusting themselves and and trust the Black Rocks and Fidelity so that they can make their, you know, 80 bips on uh, on the assets under management. So I, I think that we're headed there. If I had to predict what what we see next year when those ETFs come out, I bet we see a flood of oh you you know you can't trust yourself if you if you if you only have eleven of your twelve words you're toast you know anything like that is going to be it was what I expect to see in the news. Yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, because FTX is now trying to tell people that they are going to come out of bankruptcy, and I think there's going to be a, a hearing set for early in 2024. But they are saying they're expecting to give 90% back based on the date of bankruptcy, which is great and sounds fantastic. But 90% is based on the actual date. And since then, you've seen the crypto market go up 100%, maybe more. So in reality, even if this gets approved and we're expecting the crypto market to still go up, you're getting half of what you could have had or even less if if things kind of continue to go up. So, I mean, yeah, be careful about the narrative, right? It, it's not always the actual thing you're, you're really getting from all this. Yeah, I also saw that, who was it? Was it Galaxy Digital is going to manage the FTX funds as far as distributing them, hedging, selling, like they've got rules, they can't sell more than a hundred million in a week, in order so that they don't crash any markets. They so that at least it, as much as Novogratz reminds me kind of of Max Kaiser as like a used car salesman kind of guy. At least he knows the industry, and they didn't hand this thing to somebody who is, you know, a BlackRock that doesn't have the experience, or a company that needs to hire a crypto group, or J.P. Morgan who's got you know, a small portion of their company doing it. These guys actually care about not crashing the market so they can, and they know ways to do it. So, so that's FTX. I saw that they, I saw that their bankruptcy costs were over a billion dollars in legal fees and stuff, which is a, that's a billion dollars that the, the users won't get because <laughs> they're paying attorneys, whatever it was, two grand an hour or something insane. Well, it's interesting. So Galaxy Digital, and which is Mike Novogratz's company, I think they've sold about $71 million of Ethereum here lately. I think that's their Ethereum, not the FTX Ethereum, because they are, I don't think they're very bullish on Ethereum moving forward. But then you have JP Morgan Chase, who actually owns part of Consensus, and it's probably a huge, Ethereum is talking about Ethereum outperforming Bitcoin. 
in this next cycle. <laughs> so there's a little conflicting stuff going on there, but I, I wonder if some of the Galaxy Digital stuff could be partial FTX funds that they're trying to get rid of or, or what? I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thought. Yeah, I'm not sure when that authority to move stuff it seems it feels like that moves pretty quick, but I don't know when they actually have access to it. But no regrets. I don't think he's he he has no he has a vested interest in not crashing any markets because they hold a bunch of pretty much everything. So yeah. that's uh, that's fine with me. So I, I know J P Morgan Chase also they they talked about the reason they're bullish on Ethereum, and this is almost just a fun word to say is because of next year proto dank sharding comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about why I'm freaking uh, I, uh, Bitcoin ETF is going to eat Ethereum's lunch? Words like proto, <laughs> what was it? Proto bunk sharding? Dank, dank, dank sharding. Sharding, sharding, yeah. So yeah. sharding is. I think, I think I'll go with BlackRock's Bitcoin spot ETF instead of Ethereum's <laughs> proto dank sharding. Yeah, so that's amazing. Sharding is is separating a lot of the transactions across the nodes to make them easier to. To approve, right? And so I don't know where the dank part comes from. The proto piece is they're proving it out first before it actually becomes just true dank charting. So, I mean, it's it, Ethereum's still, what, five years behind Bitcoin. They're doing a different method now where they're doing proof of stake instead of proof of work. And they are trying to improve or lower their gas fees, because if you look at some of their gas fees, especially lately when NFTs are starting to come back, it's it's crazy. The transaction fees are just, they're too expensive, which is why the layer twos on Ethereum are gaining so much traction lately. Yeah, so, uh, speaking of that, ordinals are making another comeback on the Bitcoin blockchain and transaction fees are through the roof. And I, I think I saw something that there were more NFTs minted on Bitcoin through ordinals than there were on Ethereum in some short-term time frame recently or whatever. So I don't think I care much. I think if Bitcoin main chain transactions go up, then the layer two focus increases. It's got to happen eventually anyway, because just the sheer number of transactions going through on the base layer. So, you know, if ordinals take down Bitcoin, then it was never going to work anyway. So it'll just accelerate them figuring things out. So, and I did not read too much into this, but I think Bitcoin ordinals actually shut down Arbitrum, which is a layer two on Ethereum for a while, because everybody was apparently trying to use that to write the ordinals on the Bitcoin. And I'm like, I don't understand how this happens, but it, there are a few people that I read about, they're like, if ordinals are freaking taking down Arbitrum, which is one of the largest layer twos on Ethereum, then that is kind of amazing and frustrating at the same time. <laughs> so another, I don't know, you only want to talk about Bitcoin, but just kind of interesting to see XRP had their weekly inflows almost 4X. It went from about $800,000 in a week to around 2.7 million, which is, it's great to see that you can maybe say the altcoin frenzy has kind of started but the, the crazy part is 2.7 is still what about 25% of what the Solana one is. I think Solana at the same time had about 10 million <laughs> of inflows during that same time. And, and even Cardano 
was ahead of XRP too. So there, there's still a lot of other altcoins out there. I mean, good for the XRP community if it's really going to turn into something, right? But uh, they're they're still not the top altcoin out there yet. Yeah, I mean, after this will be cycle number three for me. So I'm kind of used to seeing like, oh, look, this altcoin exploded 200%. That one's up for this reason. This one's happening over here. Uh, you can talk about them all you want. I'm, it's it's fine with me. Some people that listen to this might be interested. Well, so another one that has exploded in the past week is ICP, Internet Computer. And I, I know you're probably not paying too much attention to it. I, I did. A I never even bought that right one. Up on it. It, like when they came or when they started. I, that was one that I was like, that's the stupidest name. I'm not going to I'm not falling for this. Yeah, well, it, it crashed. Right. I mean, it started out at some people say up to five hundred dollars and it, it dropped down to a couple of dollars. But it has since jumped from, I don't know, sub three dollars to I think it went up to like 14 at one point. But it, I think in the last week it jumped like 90 percent. But the reason is when you start talking about storage, the way that they do storage is, is different. And to store a gig on ICP, it costs five dollars. To store a gig of data on Solana, it is eight hundred thousand dollars. Which it's supposed to be a fast network, right? To store a gig on Ethereum <laughs> is over fifteen million dollars. <laughs> so when you start talking about storage. It becomes really intriguing, and I, I don't know if ICP is the answer. I mean, a cache is another one that's out there that's really you know, intriguing too. But it's, I mean, storage in general is going up with everything. If you want decentralized storage, then maybe this is an intriguing solution, and maybe it still has some some legs to run on. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I like. There's just no telling what wins and loses out of, you know, all even out of the top twenty altcoins that are that are rocking around these days yeah so speaking of solana do you remember us talking about solana coming out with a cell phone called the saga yeah yeah so they they built about twenty thousand of them it was going to have a crypto wallet built in yada 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 and and nothing really happened with it i mean it, it was selling okay nothing great and then bonk came across around which is a meme coin on solana that has gone gangbusters they are now saying that they are going to airdrop it's like 35 million or what a lot of bonk to saga phone holders so much that it's like 700 dollars or more of bonk airdrops where the phone was selling for 599 so all of a sudden, you get like a free phone out of this, and it, the bonks maybe could even go higher. Who knows? But people on eBay have been buying these phones for three to five thousand dollars now to try to get these airdrops because there's other projects now talking about they're going to airdrop to <laughs> this phone as well. So right. it's almost like having this NFT that's actually in real life that you can get a bunch of airdrops for. So. Kind of crazy. I mean, I, I think the the phone sales that they had like 10x in 48 hours when this got <laughs> announced, and uh, they're they're running out of them at this point, and everybody's trying to find a way to get one. So, but kind of funny to see. Yeah, I mean, that's the media trying. Then, yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, we'll see more of. I mean, f phones are what everybody's carrying around with them every single day. So, if you can integrate more of the crypto piece into your phone. 
to make it easier to do transactions with, that would be great, right? So I don't see a problem with it. It's still yeah, early and, on, but... And, you know, you look at the phone market, so, okay, yeah, iPhone isn't doing it, but iPhone isn't small and nimble and can try stuff and, and, and not work out. So this is just kind of like El Salvador doing it and not China or India or a European country. So, yeah, try it out, see what happens. Maybe it gets some attention and maybe Apple starts to, uh, I mean, in the next, in an update, now everybody has a, a, a wallet that Apple deems acceptable so that you don't have, you know, you don't have people with iPhones downloading rando wallets that are corrupt and have bad stories and get the iPhone name, you know, drug through the mud. So we'll see. See Who knows, right? It's all like predicting the future. Good luck. Yeah. Well, Apple always wants their cut. So I think it's going to be a while till they figure out how to get it. <laughs> how do, yeah. How do they get their 30%? Yeah. The other thing that's kind of interesting, and I, I've just found out about it. I'm in the process of doing some more research on it, but there is a project called Rainbow Wallet, which is trying to go after MetaMask. And MetaMask is probably the largest Ethereum wallet out there. And I know you didn't pay too much attention to NFTs, but OpenSea used to be the largest NFT marketplace out there. And there's a company that came along called Blur that pretty much did a vampire attack on OpenSea. And they said, all right, based on all the transaction data on OpenSea for the past year, we're going to airdrop Blur tokens to the people that are doing a lot of this, right? So because all, all OpenSea transaction data were public, they're able to do that. It's almost like Rainbow is trying to do a similar type of attack on MetaMask and provide this gamification of an Ethereum wallet. And we'll see what happens. I think they're planning on doing some sort of airdrop with their token at some point, although MetaMask also talked about doing a token back in like 2022. And there's been radio silence on that for a while. So maybe this will kind of force them to want to do a token to try to keep people around. But it's interesting to see. It's kind of fun. Shoot, if you look at what Blur did, Blur, I mean, MetaMask, or sorry, OpenSea went from a 90% market share to sub 20%. Blur's are probably like 70% now. So if Rainbow can figure out a way to become the new de facto standard for Ethereum wallets, I don't think Ethereum's really going away. So it'll be kind of intriguing. And I'm kind of intrigued because it's not owned by JP Morgan and Consensus at this point. <laughs> That's who owns MetaMask. So it, it could actually get some legs from all of this. There you go. And then the last thing that I had that was kind of interesting was the Belijah Fund, which is, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but he is, I think, a millionaire. <laughs> this has done very well. But he has come up with this idea, and he's been presenting this at Bitcoin conferences for a while, is the concept of network states. So think of like a libertarian society that today is virtual on the web, and at some point they actually have land that is based around this, and it's kind of a way to step away and become part of your own society that is everything's on the blockchain, right? So they're trying to incorporate more and more blockchain. And I think Bitcoin is a big piece of this, but it's not the only thing that they're they're doing it. And it's 
apparently gathering a lot of interest from billionaires as well. So, I mean, I think you have guys like Brian Armstrong that are investing in it as well. So it'll be intriguing to see how things happen. I think he has a free book that you can go read if you want to read more about it. But it's giving people another option of if you want to get away from certain countries that aren't doing what they you think they should be doing from a regulation perspective and kind of opening the door to everything else. And here's a possibility. So it, we'll see where it goes. It's kind of like what you talked about, throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks. And to me, it almost reminds me of um, the Ayn Rand book, not Fountainhead, but the other one. Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged, yes. So it's them creating their own little ecosystem that's it's kind of, this is what everybody, all the the rich people that are doing something, they want it to, to be, have a reason for doing it rather than just paying the government a crap ton of money for them not to do anything. Right. Yeah, you know, first thought is that's what we need is more people in more silos never hearing opinions from people that disagree with them it seems to be tearing apart countries just based on like social media so you know ramp that up a little bit more and and see what happens uh but on the other side it is kind of nice to like all right uh, there's more like-minded people let's bounce ideas off each other and see where we can take things and how fast we can innovate and things like that so you know don't know how that'll go It'd be an interesting thing to watch. See what happens. Yeah. See what happens. Anything else on your end you wanted to mention? I think the only thing I had left is, you know, we're a few weeks away from this January window where all of the ETFs can be approved for Bitcoin. Whether I don't know that that's going to happen or not. I feel like everybody thinks it's going to happen, so I'm starting to be convinced it's not going to happen. However, this week... Grayscale CEO Michael Shannon Chime was on CNBC talking about how much money is available. They're going to be made available to to invest in Bitcoin. The Valkyrie CIO was on CNBC talking about he knows insurance companies and pension funds that are interested in in getting Bitcoin exposure. And the first advertisement was leaked. The Bit ETF Bitcoin Spot ETF ad was leaked on Twitter. And it's it's the Dos Equis guy, the most interesting man in the world. Just a quick... It's weird because nobody understands Bitcoin and they don't even try to explain it, which I guess is pretty smart because you only have 30 seconds in a commercial. So what are you going to explain Bitcoin in 30 seconds to people that don't know? So there's, you know, the, I'd say things are starting to break loose a little bit when it comes to the marketing campaign for the Bitcoin spot ETFs. I think it's going to ramp up a lot, assuming that it's approved so that these companies can all kind of jockey for position when the starting pistol is fired and money starts to flow in. I listen to people talk about maybe two, three, five billion dollars coming into the market. I listen to a guy say 30, 50 billion dollars comes into the market in the first year. So I, I think that it goes up. I don't know that I've been able to convince myself to what degree it goes up, but, but yeah, I, it's, it seems like it's going to happen, which makes it in Bitcoin world, it makes it feel like it's not Bitcoin just does the, the opposite of what you think it's going to do. 
So <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, this thing's a slam dunk. So anyway, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, no, it is too many times done the opposite of what everybody thinks. Uh, I completely understand your where you're coming from there, and I'm kind of in that same boat now. It's how can you be somewhat of a contrarian and still be a fan of, of Bitcoin at the same time, which is is easy and hard to do at the same time. Yeah, I mean, look at 2023, right? This is usually awesome. a year where things are slow. Uh, it yeah. goes up a little bit. Guess what it did? It's like the best, you know, pre-having year of any of the cycles. So yeah, unexpected. Uh, maybe it's down next year. I mean, it's just, there's no freaking way to know. So yeah. that's why you just keep buying and don't sell and it goes up eventually. Exactly. Awesome. Well, as always, great catching up with you, Hal. And enjoy the holidays. And we'll, we'll yeah, chat here same in to a you. weeks. Yeah, that sounds good. A little break for us over the next couple of weeks. And then we'll catch back up early January. Yeah, we can definitely talk about some predictions and maybe recap what 2023 looked like for us. I don't really think we did any specifically what's going to happen from a price perspective for this year. I think we did some long-term stuff, but... I'll go back and put some stuff together and we can hash out what we think ha is going to happen moving forward and what our predictions were in 2023 from a, a theme perspective and how that played out. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. All right. Chat later. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Jason. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.